And so this morning we'll be reading from Acts 17, 1 through 9. So you can turn in your Bibles. It's page 1721. Um, And so while you're turning there, I'm just going to refresh our memories of where we've been and where we're coming back to. Um, And so we just finished our Advent series of longing for the king, talking about these unfulfilled Old Testament prophecies and longing for them to be fulfilled in Jesus when he comes again. Um, But before that, we were in the book of Acts, and the series was about the kingdom. And as we started Acts, we see the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the believers, and we see the start of the church. Uh, We often read of themes of this clash of kingdoms, as the kingdom of God butts up against the kingdom of this world, the the selfishness, legalistic, comfort-driven society. But the mission of the kingdom remains. And the Apostle Paul continues to share this message of Jesus, and the church continues to grow. And so today we're picking up the story when Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he and Silas had just been miraculously released from prison in Philippi, and they're on their way to Thessalonica, the city that's a 100 miles southwest of Philippi, this capital city of Macedonia and thriving port city. And so this is where we're picking things up this morning. And so, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying... There's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. This is the word of the Lord. As many of you know, this past year in January and February, I was in India with the mission school that I'm a part of. And while we're in India, we teach in different, two different Christian English medium schools, and we teach Bible and English. And this was very new to me. And so the second week of teaching, we were in front of this classroom and shared the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so I'm telling these students, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They worship the one true God. And in that moment, the students started laughing. 
And I was a bit caught off guard by this. I was like, I've never told this story and had that response before. <laughs> and you, I was, I was confused. And so we kept going and teaching. And the longer we got in the lesson, I realized that we're teaching in India where Hinduism is the dominant culture and religion. And so for these students, it was laughable to say there's one true God. Everyone knows that there's many gods. And even when they saw that this God was the one that saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace, it still was a message that they just couldn't wrap their minds around. And so it was in this moment, this second week of teaching, where I felt unqualified and felt discouraged I didn't want to continue teaching students that would laugh at this gospel message. And I wondered how, how were we going to carry on in teaching these students? And so in our text, Paul and Silas face this similar opposition. Paul is a roughly 50 year old man with his traveling companion Silas. And they're going to the city of Thessalonica on foot, telling people the good news that Jesus is Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the one who had to suffer and rise from the dead in order to bring us life. And they're traveling at this time when Claudius Caesar is the Roman Empire emperor. And thankfully, under Caesar's reign, things are mostly peaceful. Judaism is thriving alongside of emperor worship and idol worship. That is, as long as there's no threat to the Roman emperor. And so, after passing through these two small towns with not a very large Jewish population, Paul and Silas finally come to this thriving port city of Thessalonica. This city is at the crossroads of the trade routes of the ancient world. And it's this thriving cultural center where there's famous writers and wealthy traders that people can see. There's elaborate architecture. There's big arches and statues. And while this would make for a great tourist destination, Paul is more interested in something else, the synagogue. And so finally for Paul, they've come to a city with a large enough Jewish population with a synagogue where he can finally teach. And so as he did on the Sabbath day, Paul makes his way to the synagogue and is given the opportunity to read from the scriptures. And so for three Sabbath days, Paul reasons with the Thessalonians, both Jews and Gentiles. And now he doesn't just tell them this simple message that makes them feel good about, oh, just keep abiding by the law, keep being good people. Instead, Paul shares the gospel in light of suffering. And he argues with the people from scripture that Jesus is the Messiah for whom it was necessary to suffer and to die. And so as I think about this, I imagine Paul with these holy tears in his eyes as he ponders the scriptures with the people. Maybe he shares stories of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt or wandering in the wilderness where they continue to whine and complain and wish that they could be back in Egypt and away from the one true God. Or in the cycle of the judges where the people continue to do what was right in their own eyes rather than trusting God as the one everlasting king. 
And all this continues into the time of the kings when in in the kingdom of Israel, the people continued to turn away from the one true God for these idols of these other nations, which were not gods at all. Maybe he shares stories like that of Hosea, where the people of Israel are like a harlot that turns away from her husband as a prostitute and an adulteress. And he reminds the people how the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. And then maybe he concludes by talking about how the kingdom of Judah was captured by Babylon and the people taken into exile. And the temple, the very dwelling place of God, was destroyed. This was their history. A history of brokenness, of rebellion, and of rejection. Paul argues from these scriptures that Jesus too, as the Messiah, would be broken, rebelled against, and rejected because this is what happens to a servant king in a sinful world. We know that Jesus, as the Messiah, had to suffer and die in order to bring us this life that we have. But this didn't compute with the Jewish mindset. They couldn't understand how God would fulfill his plan of redemption through pain and suffering and death. Couldn't there be another way? Couldn't Jesus just simply live a perfect life by abiding by the law? I mean, it was blasphemous to say that God himself would suffer and die such a terrible death. And so in response to this news, the Jews hired some rebels from the town square to start a riot to drive Paul and Silas out of the city. They didn't want them preaching this false message of a suffering king. And they knew that by claiming that Jesus was another king, they would get the attention of the Roman government, maybe even Caesar himself, And Caesar would feel threatened to stop this threat to his reign, and he would do whatever it took to silence this message. And we know that this wasn't the first time that Paul and Silas faced opposition. They just came from Philippi, where they were flogged and imprisoned for this same message. And so we're left wondering, first of all, what's wrong with their message? The Jews didn't accept this message. But as we reflect more, we're reminded of how Paul and Silas love to preach this message. They love Jesus and they love the gospel. And yet time and time again, they're rejected and rejected. And so we wonder, how can they go on? Why did they go on? Paul and Silas aren't the only ones wondering how to carry on amidst this opposition. Many of us face opposition too, and maybe lack the joy to share the gospel because of fear and doubt and discouragement. I mean, if you've read the news at all, or keep up with social media, or spend any time socializing in the daily life, you hear of things and see this brokenness. You see how people reject Jesus today in America, in Michigan, and even here in Grand Rapids. People don't know Jesus and have no desire to know him as they continue to harden their hearts and live life for themselves. People want to settle for this gospel that they can believe with their heads, but continue living life how they want. 
And uh, take Oprah, for example. Uh, she's someone who claims to be a Christian, but who doesn't point to Jesus as the one true only Lord. Uh, she believes in this universalistic mentality where, oh, all the religions lead to heaven, so believe what you want. Don't have to change your life. And so Oprah's not alone. People have this picture of who Jesus is based on what they're told and what they hear and how they see Christians live. And one of these people is one that I met prayer walking with uh, the mission school that I'm a part of. And so through the years, I've had different opportunities to go prayer walking. And my heart's desire is that every person that we come in contact with would know Jesus and would desire to be prayed for as we advance the kingdom of God. And many of you were able to join us on Wednesday nights in the summer as we went out to our neighbors, sharing with them of the love of Jesus and praying for them. And thankfully, most people are somewhat open to being prayed for. Uh, and if they aren't, they're not going to lash out in anger telling us to get off their property. Um, but one one conversation I had was with a neighbor that I'll just call Hank that we I met with the mission school students when we were out prayer walking. And so as we came up to Hank, we introduced ourselves. Hi, I'm Marissa, and we're the students. We're from the Bridge Street House of Prayer, and we're getting to know our neighbors and would love to pray for you. Um, and so right away, Hank starts asking us these questions of, wait, so you're a Christian. What kind of church do you go to? And now what are you trying to do here? And then all of a sudden says this verse from John 3.16. He goes, I know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we're like, okay, great. I'm glad that you know the Bible. Glad that you know that God loves us to send his son to save us. But then Hank became angry as he was like, why do you come around telling me to change my life? I know that I'm saved. Why are you telling me that I have to go to church or pray or read my Bible? And so there was a lot of swearing in this conversation, and it wasn't the most pleasant conversation to be a part of. Um, but Hank, for me, is an example of someone who rejected Jesus as Lord and as King. He didn't want to have change how he lived his life and submit to someone else because he was content living by John 3.16. And it's interesting because in this passage in Acts, we notice that it's not the people who've never heard about Jesus or heard about the Bible that reject him, but it's the people that know the Bible. It's the Jews that stir up this mob out of anger. And so I think Oprah grew up Baptist, Hank grew up Catholic, and many of the people that I know that have grown up in the Christian Reformed Church, Christian churches, reject Jesus. And I just sat with that this week wondering why, why do they, and then the answer came that they don't really know Jesus the very people who grew up hearing the Bible reject the very one who the Bible is all about. And I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart to hear something like this, to think about this, and it's discouraging. Part of me wants to keep telling them about Jesus, while the other part of me is holding back, thinking, is it really going to make a difference? And so maybe some of us have given up this morning. We've lost this desire to share the gospel and we don't 
see how we can make a difference in this dark world with the light of Jesus. I mean, people laugh at us, they disagree with our message, and they're content with living for themselves. It becomes easy to just throw the towel in and just say, we can't, it's too hard, I'm alone in this, and it really doesn't seem to make a difference. But the good news of this story is that it doesn't end with discouragement. When we look at our text, Paul and Silas, they don't give up. In fact, they not, not only do they continue on, but we read of the fruit that re, is a result of their obedience and perseverance. Even though the majority of these Jews reject the message of Jesus, the Spirit empowers Paul and Silas to not give up, and many Gentiles and prominent women believe and come to faith. And it's crazy to think about this, because... Paul and Silas had just come from Philippi where they were flogged and imprisoned. And you can only imagine how discouraging it would be to come to another city. Here we go again. And not one Sabbath, but three Sabbaths. Paul and Silas continue on sharing this message, trying to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And amidst all this disagreement and questions and doubts, it would be exhausting in anyone's own strength. But we know that Paul and Silas didn't, it wasn't in their own strength. They were empowered by the Spirit. It's not because they're just super Christians or super holy people, but it's this Holy Spirit that empowered Paul and Silas to preach on these three Sabbath days. And I reflect back to Paul's story. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 in this amazing way. And he repented of his sins Uh, persecuting the church and accepted the grace and forgiveness of God, as well as the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to share this message with everyone who he would come in contact with. Paul knew Jesus. The Jesus he preached wasn't just some Jesus he read stories about or heard people talk about, but this Jesus is the Messiah He is the one who defeated the grave and who offers forgiveness for all who will repent and believe. Paul was encouraged not only by this good news, but by the eternal hope that we just talked about in our Advent series. That one day Jesus would come again. There would be no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. But until that day, it was worth giving up everything for Paul, even his life, that some might know Jesus and bring glory to God the Father. And I was filled with hope as I prepared this sermon, not only in reading this passage in Acts, but in reading First Thessalonians, this letter that Paul wrote to these new believers in Thessalonica. And so he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we long to live among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed this message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out, not only from you in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? And so it's in this text that I found the answer to this question that we can hear about how Paul and Silas go on amidst this opposition. It's this fruit found in this message that Jesus transforms people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and God is glorified. And God uses Paul and Silas to bring many into an encounter with Jesus where they're transformed by the Holy Spirit and they share this good news, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere. People all hear about their faith in God. And so in our text in Acts 17, we're reminded that even though the Jews reject the message, the Gentiles, who are often frowned upon by the Jews, and many prominent women who longed for a voice in society, were transformed by the gospel of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And so Paul and Silas persevere through this same Spirit, and many come to believe that Jesus is Lord. And the good news is true for us today, too. The Holy Spirit that empowered Paul and Silas empowers us to persevere in proclaiming this message despite the resistance. And he will lead many to faith here in Grand Rapids. Do you believe this? And it may not be the way we have hoped for, the way we have prayed for, but Jesus has the ultimate victory. We'll run into people like Hank who will resist this gospel message of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we might even run into people like the students in India who laugh at the idea of faith in one unseen God. However, we're reminded of the joy of our salvation, this great joy that we who were once sinners destined to eternity in hell were given the greatest gift of all, life. We're offered forgiveness and grace and freedom in Jesus. We're given the gift of this Holy Spirit in order to take up our cross and proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord. And we know from what Jesus said that we'll face trouble in this world, but we can take heart because he has overcome, he is Lord, and he will reign forever. And so, friends, do you know this Jesus? Do you know him not simply as a teacher who we live our lives to please by doing all the right things, but as the Messiah who suffered and died for us, this Messiah who rose again and is reigning forever? Have you encountered him and received the Holy Spirit? This is the spirit that gave Paul and Silas joy as they proclaimed this message amidst this opposition. This is the spirit that gave Paul and Silas the words to say to these Jews and Gentiles and brought many to faith. He transformed their hearts. He transformed my heart and he transforms your heart. And so church, be encouraged. This same gospel message that was true for Paul is true for us and comes with power to transform the hearts of people through the Holy Spirit. And so what does it look like for us in Grand Rapids to love Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we proclaim this message? 
I think rather than being filled with this doubt and discouragement, we're filled with joy. We gather together knowing that Jesus is Lord and he will continue calling the lost and the broken to himself. And one day there will be no more rebellion, rejection, and brokenness because all will know him and proclaim him as Lord. Amen. And I... And so to conclude, in the beginning of this message, I shared with you about my time in India as we face this opposition of these students not recognizing who Jesus really is and how there can be one God. And so when we came to the end of our time in India, we were given the opportunity to speak at this big celebration at one of the schools. And so our team was seated up on stage and there were community members and students and teachers who were sitting uh, as the audience. And this is how India works. You just come up and you give some speech, whatever you want to say to the students. And I don't remember everything I said, but I came up there and was like, I hope that uh, all of you come to know Jesus more, the Jesus that we talked about and are filled with the fruit of the Spirit that we taught you about these weeks, and it's just been such a joy teaching you. Something like that. And um, I didn't really think anything of it until we came later in the night, and we're sitting, um, watching all the students dance as they perform up on stage, and I'm sitting there, and this young girl who's maybe about 10, she comes over me and taps me on the shoulder, and, ma'am, ma'am, I, I know Jesus. You said you hope that we know Jesus, and I know Jesus. I, I have a Bible, and I read my Bible, and... I can't tell you the joy that I felt in that moment. I was so encouraged, especially as I looked out about in this dark country of India and realized that God is on the move. The Holy Spirit was changing hearts through this gospel of Jesus. And I prayed for her and I know that God will raise up people just like her to share the gospel in India, empowered by the Spirit amidst this opposition. And God's doing the same through you and through you and through you today here, empowered by the Holy Spirit and transformed by the gospel to share this good news that Jesus is Lord. So please pray with me. Jesus, we stand in awe of you this morning. You're not just some wise teacher that lived long ago. But you're our Savior, and you're our Lord. You are the long-awaited Messiah, and you're the one who will come again to rule and reign forever. And Jesus is out of that joy that we long to proclaim you, and we know we can't do this alone. And so we thank you for the gift of your Spirit that empowers us to share this message, because you are changing hearts. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now you'd encourage all of us that you'd fill us with boldness as we go out empowered by your spirit and proclaim the good news for all people that Jesus is Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.